Welcome to the Think It, Make It podcast. We're all about turning your ideas into reality with a CNC router, tips and tricks, new products, interviews with the pros, and much, much more. Whether you're using a CNC for business or hobby, we have great stuff in store for you. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Think It, Make It podcast. This is episode number 25. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm here with Greg and Bobby. And uh, sorry that um, we didn't have an episode last week. Uh, we were supposed to. I was away uh, for a couple of days, and Greg and Bobby were very busy, which I guess is a good thing. So um, we're uh, finally getting some time this week to sit down and, and record another one. Uh, we got a few things to talk about on this episode. First uh, off... Um, we've got Bobby and Greg are going to give us uh, a little bit of an update on where they're at with their projects uh, for the Think and Make It Challenge. And But before we get into that, I actually um, just recently had, uh, I don't know whether it was just, just something happened or and it goes along with another conversation I had with a different customer, kind of about the behind the scenes or the um, the what you don't see. Yeah, I guess I'm I don't have a real good title for it other than maybe we'll get one after we start talking. Um so when you have a CNC business and you you have um a machine and and you know you're obviously you're 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 starting your business to make money. You want to um you want to make make projects for people, you want to put them on Etsy, you want to have a store. That's what this whole thing can make a challenge is about. The idea is to, uh, you know, unless you're buying your machine strictly to satisfy a hobby need you have, um, most people or a lot of people buy a machine to start a business. They want to make some money with it. And with that, you have a lot of aspects of uh, the, the whole concept that you have to go through. You have to design projects. You have to come up with ideas. You have to make them. You have to finish them. You have to photograph them, build a website, put them online. I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into selling even one simple sign or one coaster set or whatever it is that you're making. It, it takes it takes some time. Um, it's not something that, you, you know, you can just like in two minutes, just bam, here's an idea, put it online and, and then just cash starts flowing in, at least not to do it right. You know, the finishing it and photographing and making a description and keywords and all the things that you got to do on Etsy. It takes a long time. And, you know, when you're running your business and you're doing that, that's fine. That's what you expect to do every day when you get up. But it's interesting that kind of like the uh, the kind of the adage, like when you win the lottery, that's when all your friends and relatives, you know, come knocking on the door. The same thing kind of can happen with your CNC business. You you know, just because you have a CNC and you, and your friends know it, um, it's very possible that somebody is going to, you know, give you that call and, hey, you know, could you, you know, I, I just bought a house. Can you make me a sign? Or, hey, can I do this? But it's not a customer. It's it's a close friend or it's it's a relative. And what brings this up is today I actually had this happen. I had a, I, one of my best friends calls me up in kind of a panic this morning. And, uh, you know, oh, I, I completely forgot we were having a party tomorrow and I got a relative here. They just got married and I didn't get him a gift. You know, is, can you just whip up a quick sign? I'm like, 
for what? And he, he's telling me what their last name is. And he, and I'm like, so you just want me to take like a piece of wood and, and just carve their last name in it and, you know, throw some paint on it and give it to them. And, 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 and anybody who knows me knows I hate finishing. So the paint part wasn't going to happen. Like that's just not going to happen. Um, so I, I'm like, what do you, you know, what do you want? And he's, well, you know, you just make a, make a simple sign that has their last name, something that they, cause they're from overseas and something they can put in their luggage. Okay. Well, do you have an idea what you want? No, just their last name. Okay. You say that one more time. I'm going to hang up the phone. Do you have, have you gone online? Have you Googled anything? Have you looked at Etsy? Have you looked at, you know, Amazon? Have you found anything like, Hey, can you make something like this or, you know, something like that? Give me something to work with. Absolutely gave me nothing. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. And so it's my best friend. He would take a bullet for me. And I, so I, and, and I, even for people that aren't my best friend, I have a hard time saying no when somebody asks me to do something. And then I get really frustrated and end up um, hating myself three or four hours later when things don't work out the way I'd hope. So I sat down on my computer and I'm like, okay, I'm going to design some. I went on uh, Google Images, typed in last name, sign, wedding gift, whatever, came up with some ideas. I found a few things. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, this is kind of cool. So I, I kind of copied a concept that I saw and modified it to make it my own. It was relatively simple. It was like a 12 by 12 sign. Um, I was going to make it out of aluminum and then I was going to have it powder coated, uh, cause my, my son has a business here where he does powder coating. So then I can take my misery and extend it upon him that this needs to be done in an emergency. And, uh, so I designed a sign. It was just the letter of their last name, which was a C. And then it had in the, that was in the middle, almost like a monogram. And then at the top, it said their last name, and at the bottom, I had EST period 2022, established 2022. So I designed it. I, I put the whole thing together. I sent him a screenshot, and he's like, can you get rid of the EST period? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll get rid of the EST period. It's fine. Move the 2022 in the center, got it all set, sent him a screenshot. Is there any way you can make it fancier, kind of like this? And then he sends me a screenshot from Google of a sign that he wanted that had he sent me that in the first place, I could have easily have designed it and, and done that. So now I had to sit there and redesign the sign that I designed to get it closer to what he showed me on, you know, on Google. And, and then it was, it's just one thing after another, trying to get it done and rushing. Meanwhile, I have my, my normal work that I need to do. And I'm like, when do you need this thing? I need it by tomorrow or actually tonight. Can I pick it up tonight? Are you kidding me? So it just, yeah, just very aggravating. And it's one thing that, um, I do terribly, but when you have a business, you know, this is something you should really consider and keep in mind. How do you, um, handle that when somebody comes along and they ask you for a favor and, or a last minute favor or a favor that was needed, you know, two hours ago? Um, what do you do? You know, and, and, and if you're like me and you have a hard time saying no and, and you want to help everybody and make everybody happy, then you have to build that into part of your life or part of your week or your day and know that there's going to be interruptions um, from people that are asking you to do a favor and not get resentful about it or not have it completely shut down your business for the day. Um, and And I don't know. I mean, what do you guys think about that? I'm just... Yeah, I think anyone who's who's ever owned a CNC machine has been there. 
You know, it's like as soon as that word gets out and then gets out on the block, it's, hey, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And before you know it, you're you're buried in work that you didn't even sign up for, that you didn't even put out there. And I've been there, believe me. And most of these people, you know, there's no ill intent there. I'm sure your, your friend oh, had absolutely no not. ill intent. No, I mean, you know him. And there's no, you know, it was. But it happens. It, it, it happens. And it's like, okay, well, you know, if it's like, hey, can you make this for me for Monday? All right, fine. I'll find some time to do it over the weekend but I need it tonight. And it's like, I don't think people understand how much work actually goes into, um, you know, designing. I mean, especially if you're not giving anybody, um, you know, it's like bake me a cake. Okay. Well, what flavor, what frosting, what do you, you know, it's, but uh, I don't care. And then you bake the cake and it's chocolate and it's like, Oh, could you add, could you make a layer with strawberry or something? And it's like, are you kidding me? So, you know, I, I, I have to kind of change this a little bit in my life. And I, I have, when somebody calls me next time and they ask me for a favor, I, I'm not a blank paper designer. So I am not a guy who you can ask me to do something. And for the most part, graphically, I'm not going to be able to take a blank piece of paper and come up with something cool. Um, I'm just not that guy. But what I can do is I can take like if somebody says, hey, I like the way this looks and then I kind of like this from this thing and I like that from that thing. Very quickly, I can merge those together and come up with a design, you know, using that. But I'm just not that blank paper guy. Yeah, that's OK. There's nothing wrong with I mean, if there's any programmers listening, you don't ever write code from the very beginning. There are libraries full of code that do, does a simple thing for you. You know, it's not it's not plagiarism. It's not cheating to take an idea or to take something that's kind of halfway there and then customize it to your own whatever you need it for. If you sat there, for, I mean, that's the hardest part is taking a blank piece and designing from scratch. But you know, if you have these small little libraries that of things that people have already done, you know, for Bobby, we took your we found a design on Etsy for the state right. of Connecticut seal, right? If we had designed that, I mean, we'd still be designing that thing. Oh, there's no shot from scratch I on it. Yeah, and there's there's nothing wrong with do, taking something that's already done and making it your own, and and kind of going from there. I don't I don't have any issue with that, and that's what we kind of specialize in. Right, I like I could do a, a a class and just show people how to replicate exactly what they see online. I mean, it's very simple from you know using image tracing and stuff. You can literally take a photograph that somebody has and, and try to mock it up. And I, but I don't do that because I don't, I don't believe in plagiarizing. I don't believe in, you know, if somebody's working hard and they've gone through all the design and they're selling something. I don't believe that just cause you have a CNC machine, you should copy their design a hundred percent, especially if you're doing it to sell. Yes. Um, now I guess like if you see something that's really cool on Etsy and it's a hundred bucks and you just bought your machine and it's only going to be for your office all right. I don't know that there's harm in that, you know, that you, whether or not you would have bought it in the first place, but I would never go and actually copy something and then turn around and sell it. But I have gone and spent a few hours on Etsy or Pinterest or whatever, and looking at different designs and then kind of like making a, like a, a storyboard or whatever. Like I kind of like this font or I like the way this you know, thing looks here and I like this shape and I, you know, and then I, I take a little bits and pieces of each one and I kind of come up with something unique. And then once I do that, then I, I get rid of all those photos. So I'm not looking at them anymore. And then I look at what I have in front of me and then I, I continue to make modifications and changes so that it's custom to me. 
And that I don't, I don't have a problem with doing because I haven't copied anything. I don't use image trace. I don't, um, you know, I don't, I don't copy anybody's stuff directly. Now I've made, I've designed some signs, um, in the past that are for shooting because I'm in a competitive shooting and I've designed signs and I've, I put a one or two up on Etsy. And then like uh, three months later, I see somebody else with the same exact sign. And I know it wasn't, it was my design from, you know, my, my own design. It wasn't something that, and I, I know somebody copied it, you know, and then they turn around, they sell it for, you know, $5 less than what I had it on there for or whatever. And stuff like that really is upsetting because, um, you know, you did, I put a lot of work into this one particular thing and it was kind of a test that I was for something that I was doing, um, again for a friend and it, you know, it, now there, there's a competitor now, you know, fortunately with Etsy, if you can prove that yours was on there first and it's a direct competitor, you can make a claim and, you know, they'll, they'll, if they find in your favor, they'll make them take it down. And, you know, so there is a little bit of, you, you know, um, I don't know, protection, I guess that you can, you can go through with that, but I wasn't going to go through the trouble of contacting a guy directly and blah, blah, blah. Like it wasn't worth it that much for me. Um, it was just a simple test. Now, if that was my full-time business and I had 300 signs on there that I was selling, that's a whole different matter. Um, so because I didn't like it when it happened to me, I'm certainly not going to teach people or encourage people to do the same thing. Um, but like today with my friend, when he, when he turned around and he, you know, oh, can you make it fancy like this? It's like, well, you already did the work. You you already have an idea of what you want. So now I you're asking me to recreate it. And I was able to recreate it. What I came up with didn't look anything like what he sent him. Um, it, everything about it was different, but it was a different concept than what I was doing. And there's only so much you can do different with, with signage and stuff. You know, there's a lot of the same similar things out there with words stacked on top of words, that sort of thing. Right. There's really only so much you can do. So taking kind of just the concept is not stealing someone's work. Right. I, I, yeah, there, there is a line and, you know, image tracing, having exactly right. Some people can skirt really close to those lines and that that's a problem. So don't be that person. Don't, don't, don't copy other people's stuff. You could be inspired by something. Um, you know, that's fine. Uh, you know, it, but it don't, don't copy it. Now, if you go online and go on Etsy or whatever, and, and the person's selling files, that's a different story. Right. Now you're buying the file. As long as they're saying that you have the right, when you buy it, you have to look at their, their pages. Yeah. I have the right to use that for my projects. Maybe it's, um, like I, I did a sign for a friend as a gift that had, um, it was deer and, and there's some trees in the background. So I bought, for a couple of dollars on Etsy, um, some DXF files of trees. Yes, like and then incorporated. Trees. And into then I incorporated a, like it in design. my drawing. So there's a website for CNC called designandmake.com. And what it is is it's there's there are three dimensional models. They're they're actually full 3D carved models that um, I believe they're involved with Vetric. They're somehow incorporated with Vetric. Um, and you can go and you can buy these packages. So you can buy like a wood woodland package. You could buy like animals and this, that, and the other thing. And when you buy that, it's what they do is they sell you like a bunch of components and you can reconfigure those components in VCarve uh, or Aspire to, to use the same components, but come up with different concepts. So, um, 
you have to check it out. It's designandmake.com. But when you go there and you look at it and you buy, because I've bought several of them in the past. I usually, whenever we're doing a trade show, I would buy them because it's a lot easier for me to buy a, a, a package file and use it for testing during the show than to sit there and try to design something when we have a million other things to do to get ready. Um, now, you could take their files and and their elements that they give you for those 3D and merge them with other ones and merge them with your own design and then use them and, and create a product that way to sell. The only problem with doing that is because those files are readily available to you, they're readily available to everybody else as well. So, you know, I what I wouldn't do is take like a sign concept design that they have on their website, buy their package, and then create the same exact sign and then turn around and sell it. Because chances are there's other people with the same exact sign doing the same thing. Um and I don't know that it's not, risk. it's not really a copyright thing because you are buying their software and they're not selling the sign. All you're doing is basically taking one example they had and you're creating it and you're selling it. Um, but you're setting your, so you're putting yourself out there, you know, say your signs take off and you start doing a hundred thousand dollars a month, you know, that it might become an issue and you don't, you don't want to stop there. You know, yeah, you don't want to have exactly. an issue with that. That's, I would never gifts personalized things on the other hand you know that's a whole different story you know right. when we give those to family members and friends that doesn't matter whatsoever because it's not being distributed it's not being sold but if you take one of those signs that they have and you personal you customize it you know putting somebody's last name on it or something like that then that that's a little bit different but the reason I wouldn't copy anything on there isn't so much because of the any copyright because I don't believe there is since they're selling you the files it's just a matter of there are probably 10,000 other people that could design easily the same sign because they're showing you how to do it and then turn around and sell it. And now, you know, it's kind of like who came first. And if you're a customer's looking and then, you know, you know, people post on Facebook and I, oh, yeah, he just copied this from this website. Then it doesn't look like you're doing anything original. So you don't want to do that either. Um, but they're, you know, using their site you are able to um, make stuff and, and customize it using their files. Etsy, you can buy a lot of the, the Connecticut emblem that we got for Bobby, we bought off Etsy. Um, they had a copyright release on it when you buy it, so you can use it with whatever project you want. So as long as you're doing that, then that's fine. Yeah, we're not cutting out the state of Connecticut and selling that as a, you know, like a sign, just the state of Connecticut. We're incorporating it into something that you're doing, which I think gives you a little bit more freedom to kind of work with that. If you just bought that and cut it out exactly like you saw, now that was a DXF, so that's a little bit different. But if we took it from somebody who was just making that plaque, that's that's turn around, sell it, yeah, a bunch of money, yeah. And that's I think that just brings up, up the the importance of saving your files and saving your templates. Because if if you look, I've had a flash drive since the day I started with CNC that has over thousand folders at this point of everything I've ever done. Because that brings, when, when somebody comes up to me and they're like, oh, I need a sign for a wedding or I need something, a little customization thing, I have everything I've ever designed and done so that I can go back and kind of tweak things here and there. Because like you said, Eric, that the hardest part is getting started. Going from a blank slate is, is almost impossible. It's like you get writer's block or creator's block, we'll call it, I guess. And uh, to have those templates and go back, you don't have to do the same thing. You don't have to do the same project, but if you're... 40% of the way there, that's the hardest 40%. That The next 60% is easy. Right. You know, you just tweak and, and twist from there, but getting that that basic design down. So save everything you do. 
you know, have a good naming system, have a good organization system where you can go back and say, oh, yeah, I did something kind of similar in the past for, for my cousin, um, and I'll just tweak it a little bit. Um, yeah. Can't tell you how important that is. You know, that then then that's fine. Like, um, one of the things that was on this sign was um, like a scroll. So it was like, it was the letter of the uh, last name, and then in the center there was the last name spelled out with like, uh, like an eighth inch box around it. And then around the top and bottom of that was a scroll. And 3D? No, it's 2D. So it was, it was just a, you know, a scroll. And, and I was like, okay, well, I mean, I can take a letter and I can make it. There's no, nothing wrong with that. I can make a rectangle and then put the person's name in the center. Nothing wrong with that. But then I'm looking at other ones like the one he sent me and they had a, a, a scroll and I could have image traced it and copied their scroll and brought it in. But what I ended up doing instead, because again, I'm not a, I'm not a white per, uh, blank paper guy. I needed a, a scroll concept, like something from a scroll. And I happened to go on to Etsy and I was able to buy a file for a couple of dollars that had a bunch of scrolls that I was able to use. So I was able to find one I liked. I brought it in. I manipulated it around the sign. I had to modify a few things. I went into node editing and, you know, made some curves different. So I didn't even use the scroll exactly as I bought it. I modified it to fit my design. And when I was done, you know, it came out good. It was unique. It, there's nothing else like it online. It's, uh, um, there's similar concepts, but nothing exactly like this one. And certainly probably not one with this person's last name and, you know, all of that. So when you get into the personalization stuff, that's kind of cool because you can make one design, like one concept. And then like in this thing in the middle, I could easily change the last name to anything I want. Um, I could design, I guess if I had the time, I could do 26, you know, um, different main letters, A through Z, and, and then have the rectangle in the center and just leave that blank. So now anytime somebody comes along, and they say, oh, I, I want mine to exactly, say whatever. Right. Then I just add the name to the center rectangle and pick the letter, the, the base file that, that has that letter. How many times in the past have you kicked yourself where somebody wants something and you're like, oh, I did something similar to that, but I never saved never it. Never saved it or whatever, yeah. I'd save everything too. I have a Google Drive that I have everything I've ever designed since I started uh, 3D printing and CNC. You know, there's 15 years worth of stuff on there. Um the, the funny thing is it's not really organized, so trying to find it, I, I won't necessarily remember. Start early. Yeah, I might remember what I did and when, and then I can look at the folder by date and try to figure out, oh, yeah, that was in 2014 or something, and hopefully find it. Um, I, I heard Bobby screaming earlier today. He was like, I can't find this file. I've got <laughs> 10,000 files. And what did I say? How important it is to, to organize and name your files. That's the thing, though. I save it. But when you go to search in my folder, like I was looking for a stand assembly guide. So I just type in the word stand. I've got like 3,000 files that have the word stand in it because every time I send a quote to a customer and there's a stand on there, it just somehow generates into the line. That's what I'm searching for. I had to have Greg send it. It's easy. When I first, could not find it. Your first two projects are nothing, right? But then hey. when you get your first 10... And then your first 100, those yep. files, when you have four different tool paths for each file, it becomes a night. So if you start early 
organize your folders, name everything. It's going to be the best thing you ever do. Yeah. And you're going to thank us down the line. And, and that's the thing. You just got to go old school. Think about before we had computers, we had file cabinets. So what did you do? You save that thing in a file alphabetically. That file was whatever the high end thing, you know, the, the top name of that. And then inside there, everything inside that file was also put alphabetically. Um, you know, I know you're young and probably. Don't I was about to say, I, I definitely but... can't relate to that. It always gets there, <laughs> always, no matter paper. what we do. Yeah, I know he probably doesn't. File cabinet, yeah, paper and pens and stuff. That's all like you know, ancient technology. Um, but yeah, create a file and you know, at least try to subcategorize things, and it's a little bit easier. You know, one of the things Eric taught me very early, and I guess this could be kind of our tech tip of the day. Um, cue music. Yeah. When you name your files, name the end mill in there as well. Like for, we did Bobby's um, seal, and what we named it was we named it something we'd be familiar with. So it was mail inlay, so we knew it was the mail part, and then we put a 1-4 in there, so we know we're using a quarter inch, and then EM for end mill. So that way we know we can do a, a surfacing bit. We'll do, we would put that in there. We'd put a square nose, ball nose, whatever we use. So when you look at that file type, you can see it's the mail inlay, and you're using a quarter inch bit because you're going to forget which bits you're using. You can't just look at a file and know what bit right off the bat. You can dig deep in there, and it, it will tell you. Well, the G-code file header should show you what tools you if have. You, if you open it up and go into there, but just to organize it, to do that, that's the best thing you I think you ever taught me was to name it like that. So now I know when I look at the, the file itself, I know I'm using a quarter-inch end mill. You mean I taught you something and you yeah. learned? Wow. Yeah, a lot of credit there to you. Well, I get to go home this week feeling See, I gave you credit in the footnotes. Yeah. I didn't steal that for just my tech tip. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like the the class I taught the other day. That was uh, incredible. How'd that go? I didn't tell you about that. Uh, oh, you did. You may have. Yeah, I thought. No, I told Bobby. <laughs> which is why he's laughing. So I was asked by a local college to um, to teach a class, and uh, it was on a CNC for business or kind of turning your concept into a business. And so I had prepared. Like I had a really cool class outline. Like I, as I was doing it, I'm like, this would be a, a great online class too. I, I was actually, I went from dreading it, wishing I didn't commit to it three months ago to like, yeah, I'm really excited. And they had 11 people uh, signed up for the class and I get there early. I dragged a machine. I had a bunch of samples. I brought, uh, you know, they had an overhead. I, I brought books to hand out. I, all, all kinds of, the whole nine yards. They planned to have dinner delivered and nobody showed up. Not one person. The oh, It was me and the guy who arranged the whole thing. And I was sitting there and it was like, it's like inviting a party, but the cooler kid down the block is having a party the same night. So nobody shows up to your party, you know? And I was like, what is going on? And, um, yeah, I was a little disheartened and upset cause I've never, I've done a lot of classes. I've never had that happen before. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I'm not really sure, you know, what, what went wrong. Maybe there was a miscommunication in dates or Something. I think it didn't help that it was 80 degrees last week in Connecticut, which yeah. is summer. It's finally decent out. Yeah, if you did it when there was six inches of snow, you might have had 22 people. But yeah. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, um, yeah, it was. It, it's okay. I mean, I'm not upset about it from the perspective of, like, I didn't, I didn't waste any time because now I have this curriculum. So they're gonna plan it again and do it a little bit different. So there's more of a, hopefully, more of a, a guaranteed. So I think it's kind of funny how you said that, how you said you were dreading it. 
you were probably stalling. You were probably procrastinating because it was just this mountain that you had to do. And then it became exciting once you started getting into it. Right? Yeah. No, I, you know, and I, I enjoy doing them and, but it's been a while. Remember COVID two years. So I haven't done any in-person classes and I used to do a lot of them for different schools prior to that. And, um, yeah, so my my curriculum, like I didn't have any moves, right? All my moves yeah, were. You didn't know where to start. You were I, just I, yeah, I looking at this mountain and kind of start from scratch. And and uh, but once you crossed that peak a little bit, you started to get like, oh my god, this is awesome! I could do this. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want. I never want to make a class about my company. So, uh, yeah, you know, you start off with who I am, right? Because obviously, why are you qualified to teach a class? So I I explain what I'm, you know, who I am, what I do. Um, I'll briefly explain that this is my company and this is what my company does, but then that's kind of the end of it. Everything I do from there on in is very, um, it's agnostic. It doesn't have anything to do with, with my company. It, it could apply to any CNC machine. So usually in a three hour class, I spend an hour talking about nomenclature, what different parts of the machine, um, so that when you get further along in a class and you mention a spindle or an end mill, you know, people aren't looking at you with all glazed over. So I make sure that everybody understands the concept behind it. Um, then I get into, um, usually what I'll get into next is, is like kind of showing everybody. See, the nice thing when you do a class is everybody can download the free version of Vetric. And so I had everybody, but everybody do VCAR Pro. And then I would pick a project, put it up on the overhead, and then step by step, I would have everybody uh, replicate that project. And um, then, you know, kind of, because now you're learning by doing, right? So once I do that, maybe I do one or two simple projects. Then you can go to the simulate, which is the equivalent of somebody actually cutting on the machine. They see it. It's like, oh, this looks cool. Um, and then I'm like, yeah, it wasn't that hard, was it? No. Okay. Well then uh, the last part, the last third of the class, I will give people like four or five options of something to make, and then they can pick what they want. And then I'll go around and I'll work with each person and show them how to do it. Because, you know, teaching this stuff is always better when somebody is making something that they're interested in versus yeah. me forcing something down their throat. And, uh, yeah, the classes work, you know, work out great. So I know there's another one next month. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Self plug, now, self plug. Yep. Self plug. Now that I'm, now that I'm actually, you know, I have the curriculum down and I'm, I'm, I'm jazzed about it. Um, I'm still curious as to why nobody showed up. That was really weird, but I, I just think maybe there was a miscommunication and a date or something that had to be because, um, this makes no sense to not. Yeah, and this, I mean, for all those listening that may be our customers, this was a local thing. I know yeah. you guys beg and beg for for training and classes because, I mean, that's that's what we want to do here. I wonder if you were to open that up to maybe an online thing, how many people you could get to show up there. I know this was a local community college type thing, um, but if you open that up, oh, man, I could give you twenty people off the, off the top of my head right now. Yeah, you know, well, so two things. So one, I know that the um, the gentleman who arranged for this class is also a listener of this podcast. So, um, John, when you hear this, uh, maybe we could talk about how to take that class and, and make it virtual, too. That that might be kind of cool. Um, but, Mike, what I was planning on doing was recording the class, even though the audio would have been terrible and, and uh, the video would have been from my cell phone. It would have been not, nothing that I would distribute. But what it would have done is as I was talking to people and as I answer questions, it gives me a recorded 
kind of reference. So then it's easy to come back and, and, and build out, um, you know, maybe it's a three week, uh, hour a week, you know, online thing instead of doing three hours in one night. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. Um, but it's, it's funny that since COVID, how many things have gone to online? Yeah. I mean, my, you know, my, my daughters, both, uh, one just finished and one's doing the, um, Connecticut boating class so they can get their jet ski license. It's all online now. It used How do you to be, drive a boat online? Well, I don't know. They just, uh, they go through the whole, like they give you a manual and stay as a manual and some guy just reads through it. Um, and it was four hours, two nights, two nights of four hour classes. And then you got to take a test online. And then when you pass it, you send this thing in and you get your, your license, but it's not, there's no like, um, driving involved. Practical. Yeah. Which feels, is kind of weird. So much safer. Yeah, it is. It is kind of. I know of weird. we can't go on the road now because your daughter's getting her license. Now we can't go on the lake. Can't go on the lake. Be driving a boat. I guess we got to fly to work, Bobby. I don't know. Well, my son has a pilot's license, so <sighs> I forget it. Just stay home. It's easier, <laughs> safer. Yeah, but my point with that that whole process there is, I think we all go through that. I think I just went through that with this think it make it challenge. Is you you kind of start and you look at this mountain and it's so daunting and you kind of you get stagnant a little bit. You get kind of, you stall a little bit because it's just so much. You don't know what to do. But once you first get those first couple things on paper, you know, that, that adage of, you know, write the first couple words and then the rest of the, the essay flows. Getting started is the hardest part, not only in this industry, but with, with doing, working with the machines here as well. That's the hardest thing is to sit down and know, all right, I want to make a sign. There's a lot that goes into that, and you have to break that down. And once you start, you get your first scroll there, like you said. You get your first letter there. It starts to flow, and you start to get really excited. You feel really good when it, all the dirty work is done, and you're actually on the machine, and you see what you created. It, I'm going to throw Bobby really cool. under the bus for a minute because he was huffing and puffing about this project because he just was, was you know, he Dreading. didn't know how to do this. He was he's. I, I'm nervous about doing this. I don't know exactly how to do it. And when we first cut his female inlay, he was so he was taking pictures of it. He was like, "That came out so cool." They're taking selfies with it. Taking, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it gives you. And then, so the the best thing you can do is is do something. Shout Get out something to Vector though, because their videos were spot on. Not even watching the full thirty minutes and just skipping from point A to B to C. Their videos for both the male and female portion spot on and you don't even have to watch the whole thing um really well done so yeah good segue into um what you guys do with your projects yeah and i i mean i brought that up because i what just happened was i had started with my my project for those of you that don't know was going to be a pet memorial lithophane um and i had started with doing turning the pictures into a lithophane and it was pretty daunting at first because i didn't know too too much about it um but once i got it on the paper um i have a we can take a picture of it here and put it up um, I did two different pictures, and the first picture, I mean, I held it up probably 20 times to the light, oh, it's cool. and I was showing everybody. I'm like, this is so cool. I showed and the it, customers that came in, too. Yeah, I mean, it gets <laughs> you so excited that you, you want to go and you want to come in after work and, and work on it because it, it, it gives you a burst of energy that you want to do. Um, so I started with just a, a simple little lithophane of a picture. Um, I did a 10% step over, and... Well, that, yeah. I mean, I can't see anything. There's no light in it here looks right really now, cool, but doesn't it right now? Oh, well, let me see it. What is this? There's light. There's a window. So it's a little bit creepy when you don't see it with the light. 
which I'm a little bit concerned with because yeah, it, it, it's an animal that passed away and it looks like a ghost. It looks like a ghost when you don't see it in the light. But as soon as you put the light up, it looks awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah it came out really that. clean. So I started with a 10% step over on the first picture. That's um, actually really cool. That's the bottom picture for those of you following along that see that. Um, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. But it took two hours. It took two hours to cut to, to do a roughing and to do a finishing. And I don't think I needed to do a 10%. So what I did with the second picture is I bumped it up to a 30% step over. Um, and where I made the mistake is I think I should have done the same picture to see if snout and the nose it, it kind of pops and it yeah and that's that's what i'm dimensional looking is it the picture or is it the step over that i did that's where uh, i messed it, up well, and didn't do the same picture if you look at the at the side profile you can see the eyes and the nose kind of mm -hmm. pop up from and when it's backlit it's it's funny how they they really pop out and uh and give you that three-dimensional look lithophanes are very cool um yeah, that's neat. Yeah, I keep saying that's that wow factor I'm going for. And it I looks think good. everyone that's seen it so far has been, it is a little creepy at first when you'd see just the, without the light. But then when you hit it with the light, it, it definitely has that pop. And I'm, I'm really happy with that, that choice so far. So at 10%, you had two hours and at 30%, 49 minutes. Yeah. So 30% bumping that up, it was only 49 minutes. And that was with the, the roughing and the finishing on there. Okay. So maybe you can get away with just doing no roughing. You know, since Candlestone is uh yeah, the roughing wasn't the hard, the roughing on either of them were uh, nine minutes at most. Tool change. You know, I mean, you could uh, you could probably carve this because the you know the the total depth on this is what maybe three sixteenths. Um, you could probably do the whole thing. You you should try that next time, because I would always opt for the quality over. The, the production. And you're going to get a better quality with the roughing and then finishing. No, you'll get a better roughing with the smaller step over, or better, you'll get a better finish or quality with the smaller step over, right, as opposed to. So the roughing has nothing to do with anything. All that's doing is taking away the a lot of bulk materials so that the uh, ball nose. Does so even at a 10% step over with no roughing, you think it'd still be that that finish, that quality? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the quality is okay. not going to change because. At the end of the day, it's the tip of the ball nose that's doing the work. So the the only difference is the roughing is removing some bulk material. So you're not removing as much material with the ball nose. Um, but that material is more lateral. In other words, the roughing toolpath is never getting down to your final la layer, your final Z height layer. So it's just removing bulk material. They don't think it's necessary with the candlestone. I don't think so. It's pretty soft material and you're using a tapered ball nose. So if you were using like a 116th inch um, to eighth inch taper or reduced shank, I, I wouldn't do that because it's a lot of lateral stress, but a tapered ball nose starts out at a quarter inch shaft and then it goes down. I think it, it's gonna, it'd be fine. And that would at least save you the tool change and the roughing, but so that, that brings up a good, you know, concept, but you look at this and it's like, okay, the one, I guess first thing you need to do is do the same picture again. Or twice. Yeah. And, and at the 30% step over and see if there's a, a difference, maybe even do one at 20% and then see what the noticeable, but if there is a noticeable difference and the one that's the 10% is, is noticeably better then you have to make a decision of what kind of quality do you want to manufacture in your project that you're, you know that's going to be your reputation or be your product and then so if two hours is literally what it's going to take to do these well 
That's fine. I mean, you can get a bigger piece of Candlestone, and if you had four orders, you could knock out four at a time, set it up and go do something else and let the thing run for eight hours. And then when you come back, it's it's not... So that, that's the other thing, too, is like when people calculate shop time, you know, there's shop time with you using your hands and your tools, and then there's shop time with just your tools running on their own. So, you know, you could do that. But if there wasn't a noticeable difference between 30 and 10, and 30 is, you know, less than half the time, then by all means, I would I would do that. But yeah, it looks cool. Yeah, and that's the, um, I mean, that's the bulk of it. That's the whole thing. The rest is just getting those those V carves in, you know, carving, painting, putting it in there. That's going to be no big deal. You need to get me a photograph of those with the light behind it so I can put it on the website for the show notes. Yep, certainly. Absolutely. But um, So what's going on with your project? Uh, further along than I have been. Uh, I think we proved the concept. Um, I don't know if what we did is perfectly going to match one another um, just because the male portion is plastic, so it's kind of just charred on the edges. It didn't have any wood big enough. Yeah, so when you guys came to me, I, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Um, we were looking for some material to do a test with a inlay, a V-carve inlay. I think we proved it's definitely possible. Just this piece we cut today probably not going to work just because of the material. Yeah, so we we started with um we just had some MDF laying around from an old uh, what was it raised panel door that door. wasn't the right size. We did MDF, we did the female and that was fantastic. Yeah, that was quick and easy. Bobby was wowed by that, but then the only thing we could really find for the male portion of the inlay was that material which I think was Sintra or PVC. PVC. So, and that didn't I mean it cut beautiful, but the the smaller edges are bending. What did you use for an end mill for that? Uh, we used a 60-degree and a two-flute upcut uh, for... Single flute. Uh, was it single flute? Yep. Yeah. A 60-degree... Um, B-bit. So one of the wide ones? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, no, it came out good. I mean, it, it looks good. I can see where the, the bit would have melted the PVC a little bit in some spots. But, yeah, it's see, that that's going to bring up an issue for you um i think the fine detail is going to end up being a little bit of an issue where you get into kind of the grapevines and such where it's everything is so much tighter uh, i just worry about especially doing it on wood that it's just going to kind of snap off because it's so thin it's not going to have that much strength to it well um, you, you're gonna you have to use a hardwood yeah first of all so if you're using something with a, a tight grain hardwood like maple um yeah, we couldn't do that with pine. Pine would be no the same pine, poplar, yeah. even oak wouldn't work. Because even oak, it, really? Yeah, because the uh, grain in oak is 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 bigger, so you'll lose a lot of your little detail. But if you go with like a walnut or a cherry or um, or a, a maple, uh, grains are tighter, and you won't have to worry about little details breaking off. That won't happen. But the problem you're going to have is that size. What's the diameter on that? Fifteen. Yeah, so you're not going to be able to go to any store and buy. I'm going to have to buy a, a 15 much inch. Well, yeah, I mean, you you might be able to go to a lumber yard uh, like that specializes in hardwood and buy a piece of um, you know 15 or 16 inch wide maple or whatever. You're going to pay like astronomical money for it. Um, it's easier to find like you know up to maybe eight inch boards you know readily available at least around here. So that means the other option you would have is you'd have to go buy an eight inch board 
Um, That's going to work. You, well, you'd have to cut it in half, plane it, and then glue it together. So you'd have to make a, you'd have to do a glue up. And then now you'd have a 16 inch wide piece of that's maple. That's a fairly time consuming. Yeah, that's a Well, it easy, not, but it's time consuming. It's it's not hard. Yeah, it's but you you have to um the the most critical thing is you have to plane two edges so that when they mate together, they're ridiculously tight. So you can't you, you normally you'd use a jointer planer where you would, you know, run the edge of the board along and it's got a round cutter. And it basically levels off that entire edge. And then you do the same thing on the next one. So when you put those two edges together, um, the, there's no gap. It just, it looks, you know, it doesn't look like it grew that way because the grain won't match. You'll, you'll have a definitive line. But when you do an inlay like that, depending on how you lay out where that grain is, you, you probably will not even see it in your final design. So that might be the only way that I can think of that you would get a piece that's that wide. So, but you can go to like, um, I don't even know if Lowe's or Home Depot sells maple. Okay. So let me ask you guys this. Home Depot does. We've talked about the epoxy pour that we didn't really want to go to, but the female V carve came out absolutely gorgeous. What about switching back to the epoxy pour instead of doing the male inlay? I think for 75% of it, it would work. But again, for some of the finer detail things, I don't necessarily believe it would serve any benefit. Just kind of looking at it and imagining it, I think it's too thin. One of the disadvantages was the cost. Epoxy is expensive these yeah, days. Yeah, but the wood's going to be expensive. But if we're talking about that now, maybe. And, they, you know, you could do the epoxy, because when you lay the epoxy in there, you're, you're going to mix it up. You're going to put it in. Epoxy is going to start to get hot. When it um when it starts to uh, cure, uh, you're gonna heat it with a torch anyway. You're gonna take a, a flame and run it over the top because that'll bring all the bubbles up. So when you pour the epoxy into that inlay or into the V carving, you're gonna get bubbles that appear. And if there's a bubble at the end and 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 the bottom of like a deep gap. Okay, that's not as bad because it's deep and you still have a lot of surface area around it. But if you get a bubble and the little V carving is is only like a 32nd of an inch deep, that bubble could be actually bigger than the the depth you need. So then later on when you surface it or you sand it down, you'll see where those little details are, you're going to have a void because there would have been an air bubble there. So if you if you take a flame and after you pour it, you Put a flame over the top to get all the bubbles out. It'll probably look pretty good. Um, so that is another way to do it. Then you have the added steps of, uh, you know, you have to get, you have to level it off. Then you got to sand it. Then you got to sand it. Work. We still have to surface uh, the inlay anyway. You're so. gonna have to surface yeah. the inlay. Yeah. So it's not. It was fun though. I will say that I did learn a heck of a lot on VCarb. So that's why I had suggested. Um, a while back about maybe doing like the smaller conference table corner. I looked at everything would have been scaled down. They're like 12 bucks. Like, yeah, but not the same (laughs) design. I mean, you know, you can buy anything cheaper somewhere. It's, but people are paying for that customization. You know, so, so yeah. Cause then, Oh, the only reason I suggest the main reason I suggested was just physically smaller, Mm -hmm. less expensive materials. Um, if you screw up, it's you're not throwing away. I screw up on this. I'm it's gonna be expensive. Well, I'm, I'm screwed. 
Yeah, or I mean, if if you can find twelve inch wide lumber, and and that's the limiting factor. I mean, to scale that down three inches, I think it's still gonna pop pretty well. Just be be aware that some of the really small detail when you shrink that down you get worse and worse. Yeah, the, the detail is gonna get finer and finer, and you may not be able to use a sixty degree bit you may have to go to like a 45 or a 22 and use something a lot smaller because 22 gonna, yeah the 22 yeah there's um there's some other we sell like an 18 I, I don't think yeah, we've ever sold it but we have an 18 on the website. Used to, i've done a 60 30 and then a nine our the, nine is very fragile the yeah and then and the thing with those is the reason you would go to that small of an angle is to get deeper so if you have a very small detail in your carving by using a a smaller angle, you can carve deeper. So you would get more material forced into that spot. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, either way would be cool. Regardless, you should, we'll have to look and see. We may have some cherry or maple or something there and then grab the uh, jointer from upstairs and, and we can, you know, cut it and just do a glue up with some pipe clamps and, and, uh, and then try to do that again, even if you just do it as a, just to do it. I mean, what's it hurt to, to do an epoxy pour and an, a hardwood inlay just to see which comes out better, which takes less time, which is least expensive, right? No cost. Yeah. I mean. These are going to be some expensive boards. I'm you, you, starting to realize it that's more the thing. and more. <laughs> you, you picked a project that's physically larger. Yes. So it's going to require... Uh, you know, larger pieces of material. There's, there's just no way around it. Um, I also thought initially it wasn't going to be as hard to do as y'all's, and now I'm realizing it definitely is. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times when you, you'll see, like, we've got a bandsaw out there. I think it's got a 12 or 14-inch throat on it. And w so what you could do on something like that is you, if it was smaller and it fit within that envelope, um, once you do the V carve, you could literally put it on the bandsaw and cut the hat off instead of using, um, instead of putting it on a, um, on a, on the CNC and using a surfacing bit and just, because if you look at this, right, this is, you still have a good half, a inch, lot of stick half inch of material left. Yeah. Right? And we, we were aware of that when we chose that material, but, but it's when all you buy wood, right. If you bought a piece of three quarter inch maple, you're going to have the same amount of wood. That's uh, all wasted. So it would be nice if you could just get in there and saw it off like this. Then you end up with this piece left that you could use for another inlay on something else. Mm. Okay. So just another thing to consider. Um, I'm not sure how you would do it on something that large because we don't necessarily have a tool that's large enough to do that. The only way I can think of doing it would be like a wire saw or something by hand, but... I don't know. That's kind of weird, but yeah, you picked a project that was difficult. It's the simplest concept in that it's a cornhole board and like a jillion people make cornhole boards. But to make it pop is, yeah. makes it a much more difficult project. Yeah. A lot more than I thought I was biting off. I wouldn't want to be you. That's a tough one. It was fun though. We'll yeah. see what happens. There's a cornhole championship. Seriously? ESPN2. I, I saw it all the time. I never knew that was a thing. Oh, yeah. They have it for college. They have pro ACH. Oh, it's huge. There's what, cornhole what? leagues at bars everywhere. I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used, so it's like, throw like darts. Like, that's like, it's like, but darts never made it to ESPN. Did sure, it, it, it does. Yeah, it did. Did it really? Oh, yeah. 
Everything is on ESPN. Check ESPN I don't, I don't on cable, so Sunday afternoon when it's not football season. It's either bowling or spike. Look at ESPN, and it's uh, you find some funky stuff on there. Okay, and I had no idea. I um, well, I know that there was drone racing that ESPN had. That was a few years ago, and that's kind of fiddled out a little bit. Yeah, I haven't they, seen much of that. They anymore. still do uh, FanDuel and DraftKings for those races where you oh, pick really? your lineup. Yeah. I used to, I've never watched it, but I would just throw in random lineups for like a quarter, 50 cent at a time just to. On drone, for drone racing? Yeah. They used to have it on like DraftKings and FanDuel, your daily fantasy sites. So the first time that they televised, ESPN televised the first drone race was on Governor's Island in New York City. Mm -hmm. And I went to it um, because back then I was still working and helping out with the um, drone magazine. So and we had a drone podcast, and then I was just just starting um, this business too. So, uh, yeah, we went to Governor's Island, and I actually got a chance to race one of them on the course, and that's pretty insane. Um, in hindsight, it's kind of I don't know. It it's neat when you're doing it, but it's not a great spectator sport because the drones are very small, and they're going very fast. But when you're flying it, you have a pair of goggles on and you're flying from a camera on board. So it's as if you're flying, you're actually flying the model. I was wondering how they did that. Yeah. And that part that was part. that part was really cool. It's like being in a race car or something. You're you're flying in three dimensions. Um, I completely destroyed my um mine. I, I hit a pole and <laughs> there there was nothing left to it when it was done. But um but yeah, it is it is pretty cool. It's, I guess future project, future no. thinking, make it. I've Custom done drone. I did a drone before. I've done a couple of them, but yeah, I don't know. I have no. I don't have any interest in that anymore. So I'll have to. I'm into archery. Maybe we can make custom uh, arrows. We've got somebody doing battle bots. Yeah, we you remember can. that old show on like Spike TV, the battle oh, yeah. bot competition. We have a lot of robot clubs. Yeah, we have a, we have a couple customers that do battle bots. I would love to see that. We got to come up with something cool. I know there's a robotics team just a couple times over that does the uh, the battle bots. I haven't seen it yet though. We'll, we'll come up with something neat. We 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 just got to get through this challenge first, and we'll go from there. But uh, so anyway, uh, again, we're we're sorry that uh, we didn't do one last week. Um, hopefully, you know you find these interesting. Um, I know this one, the beginning of this one, kind of came off the top of my head just based on my my day and my friend there, but. It, it does bring up a good point, you know, something to consider with your business and, you know, where do you, uh, where do you fall when somebody, you know, Hey, can you do this for me? Um, yeah, that's always exciting, but, um, yeah. So I guess that's it for this week and, uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Yeah. Let's get those pictures up there and let us know what you think. Yeah. Yeah. Give me some photographs and we'll get, uh, we'll get it. So think it, make it us. And just look for episode 25, and I'll have these photos of what these guys made on the uh, show notes. So until next week, everybody have uh, have a good weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to the Think It, Make It podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for more great CNC router content.